You know, as <clears throat> Pastor Tim was up here talking about how God sees you, I just have, have a question. How many saints do we have here in the congregation this morning? Saints, saints. Again, would you just raise your hands up a little higher if you... <laughs> yes, we have a whole lot of saints here at Valley Church. And I'm so thankful to look, out, to look out on this congregation and say, Welcome, saints of God. It's, it, that's awesome that we are learning our identity and learning it well. When I see very few hands that were not lifted up now, and it used to be I'd ask for saints of God and there would be a dozen hands, a couple dozen hands. So. But it, Paul made it really clear when he was speaking to several of the different churches. I think at least five of the books he wrote, he began with saints of Ephesus, saints of, saints of, saints of. Even when he was writing letters of correction because of some of the bad, of, of the things that they were doing wrong, he's still referring to them as saints. See, let's just say that together. I am a saint. And he's proud of me. And I love him. All right, well, I, I want to, I told you here four weeks ago that I had a, a, th a three-part series that I wanted to speak and that I was going to end up titling it um, The Coach, The Team, and Your Position, or Jesus, The Church, and Where Do I Serve? Uh, I still like the sound of that, The Coach, The Team, and My Position. Which one would you pick? First one or the second one? First one? How many say the first one? And how many say the second one? Uh, we have a mix. Rich, you're just going to have to take your pick then. You, you flip the coin, sir. But we talked about being and seeing ourselves, understanding that we are saints of God when we believe in him, we commit our lives to him, and our desire is to practice righteousness. He sees us as holy and unblemished. And we receive that, we understand that, and we thank you, Lord, for that. Now, I want to talk about... <clears throat> we have something really amazing that's about to happen here. This is not just a prop this morning. It's something that's really going to that's really going to take place. We're going to have several young people, and a few not as young, but still young people, baptized this morning. And we're talking about church building. We're building the church. Not, not just Valley Church, but we're building His church, the church of Almighty God, Jesus Christ, the head of the church. We're working at building the church, and this is, this is one of, the, one of the, the primary, the beginning steps of building the church. But I, as I've told you, we, we've had, I thought I was going to do this in three messages, but the first three messages were just the first part. So part one is now behind us. We've moved into part two, and that is as we go into Acts, as the church is beginning, the New Testament church has begun. It's starting. But I want to go through some scriptures that get us there. 
where I ended here a couple of weeks ago before the, before the Harkies came. But wasn't that amazing when those guys were here? Wasn't that an incredible, incredible blessing? John, Meliana, John and Meliana Harkey and Paul Lackey. Oh, my goodness. They brought such revelation, such wisdom, such solid teaching. Oh, man. Still feasting on that. Okay, I want to go back to Matthew 16, 18, which is kind of one of the, the scriptures that we've heard a couple of times now, but we want to start with that. Matthew 16, 18. When Jesus asked, he gathered his disciples together, and he says, you know, who do people say that I am? But then he said, even most important, who do you guys say that I am? And Simon Peter popped up. He answered, he said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is Matthew 16, 16th verse and 17th verse. Jesus then replied to him, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. On this rock, this is the part that I want to focus on, all the powers of hell won't conquer it, this translation. I'm, I'm reading out a New Living Translation this time. Uh, all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I, I'm believing that the powers of light, of the kingdom of light, will overcome the gates of hell, not that hell will try to conquer the kingdom of light. We've talked about that last week, didn't we? Or a couple of weeks ago. Everybody on the same page? All right. Now I say to you, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. Upon the premise that you believe that I am the Son of God, I am the anointed Christ. You now know that. You believe that. On that premise, on that statement, I will build my church. Not only on that, but on you, Peter. I believe that Jesus was speaking prophetically the future over Peter. Jesus was speaking, he was making a very prophetic statement over Peter, knowing that that was going to come true, right? Are you with me? We believe in prophecy. We speak out prophecy. It's something that I mean, we're going to talk a little bit more about here just in a few minutes. But Jesus speaking prophetically over, over Peter at that time, Peter, I see in you some amazing things. You're bold. You're powerful. You are led by the Spirit of God. He, is, he has shown you these things. Now upon this rock, Peter, you're the rock. I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against that church. So Peter walked away with that, right? That's a powerful, prophetic, life-changing, life-building, future-building statement, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Somebody say amen or something. We're really quiet this morning. Okay. Now, I want to move to the 26th chapter of Matthew and start with the 32nd verse. I want to, want to build a little more on this. Now, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and, and talking, really trying to prepare them for what was about to happen. He is just about to be crucified and he's speaking to him. He gathers them together, and we're going to uh, start with the 32nd verse. He says, but 
I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. But after I've been raised from the dead, it's like, seems like he's saying this in such a casual manner. Can you imagine being one of the disciples and, and hearing him say this? It's like, here's what's going to happen, guys. You know, take it, eat it. This is for my body. Drink this. This is my blood. This, and he's talking about new covenant. I'm not going to drink wine. Anyway, all of this stuff that he's sharing with them. Then he gets down to this part. You know, the shepherd is going to be struck. The flock's going to scatter. But after I've been raised from the dead. Can you imagine being one of the disciples right there when he says, but after I've been raised from the dead. Have they ever seen anybody raised from the dead yet? I don't think so. Oh, yes, they saw G. Yes. That one's too obvious. Is there any other? <laughs> yeah. They saw Jesus raise somebody from the dead for sure. But there, he's talking about, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. After I've been raised from the dead, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Like, wow. I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter jumped up and declared. I mean, he's had some prophetic words spoken over him, right? His future has already been laid out for him. Jesus himself told Peter of his future. So Peter, bold Peter, jumped up and declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will, Jesus. So, Jesus tried to just so, so gently put Peter in his place, maybe bring a little humility into his life. Peter, Jesus replied, the truth is this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. That would be a pretty gentle rebuke, huh? <laughs> no. Man, nobody has my sense of humor this morning. I I just thought, wow. Peter steps right up there and boldly declares, this is me. God, even if the rest of them desert you, I never will. I've got your back. I'll be by your side. I'm there with you, Jesus, right to the very end. Even if I have to die with you. Peter said, Jesus says, Peter, the truth is, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. No, not me. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. All right. What happens? What happens to Peter here just in a... Jesus is taken away. I mean, Peter still, he stands there with his sword there in the garden, and he cuts off somebody's ear. He's ready to go to battle with his sword. But when everybody's scattered, and when he sees Jesus taken... He begins to deny Jesus three times. Oh, I, did re I don't even know him. I swear by God, verse 74, 26, 74, I swear by God, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter went away crying bitterly. Jesus, the one who said, I will never, I will die first, just denied him three times when a little pressure was put on him. And he realized that. He was overtaken with shame and guilt and what he had done, what he had said. He had denied the Savior. He had denied his Jesus 
three times, and he went away crying bitterly. Turn with me to Mark 16, verse 7. Now, this is Jesus' resurrection, where the angels came and, and the angel came, sat there at the tomb, and Mary, the, the, the women went to, you know, to go clean the body, to do the things that they were ready to start doing. And so they entered the tomb, and there on the right side sat a young man clothed in a white robe. The women were startled, but the angel said, "Don't be so surprised." You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He isn't here. He's been raised from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and give this message to the disciples, including who? Peter. Including who? Peter. Now go give this message to his disciples, including Peter. This is an angel of the Lord probably sent by Jesus himself, says, now go, give this message to his disciples, including Peter. Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you before he died. Now see, because I, I believe that because of Peter's overwhelming guilt and shame, that he had to end up hearing that he was included in that. Otherwise, he would have been so overwhelmed with guilt, so overwhelmed with what he would have done that he wouldn't even have been able to see himself as a disciple any longer because he's the one that said, oh, I would never, I would never, even if the rest of them do, never me, Lord, never me. I declare I will be with you even unto death, Lord. I vow this to you. Yet he denied Jesus three times. But Jesus had spoken prophetically over Peter, something that he knew and had seen in the heart of Peter. And he said, make sure all of the disciples are there because something amazing is going to happen, what I've promised. So they need to go and they need to hang out and they need to wait because something special is coming. But make sure Peter's there. Because I have spoken, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon Peter, who denied him three times, who made the promise and broke it and denied him three times, on Peter, the rock, I will build my church. I think this is an incredible message for us church right now. Those of us that believe and see ourselves as saints, man, do we ever mess up still? Saints. Does anybody in here still mess up on occasion? But we're living a righteous life. We're intentionally pursuing righteousness. So God sees our heart and he calls us holy. He calls us his saints because our desire is to walk out Righteousness. And he knows your future. And he's not going to give up on you. As Peter denied him, he saw Peter's heart. He had spoken knowing what Peter was going to do. 
because he even laid that out for Peter. He knew he was going to make a mistake, but he knew Peter's heart and was planning to build his church on Peter. Is that not amazing? Is that almost mind-blowing to think about? God, couldn't you have found somebody better that actually would have stood faithful? But you know, some of the mistakes that we make in our lives are what he uses in us, not only to humble us, but to empower us to be overcomers. Are you all with me still? All right. We're going to keep moving then. We'll go to Luke 24, 49. Trying to build a a foundation. Luke 24, verse 49. Jesus was speaking and he says, Now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. So it's one of the things that he's called them. Be there, linger, dwell, hang out. Holy Spirit's coming. That's going to empower you. Now let's go to John 16, verse 13 to begin with. Jesus again, red letter. There's so much more I want to tell you, verse 12, but you can't bear it now. I can't share enough. You don't have the capacity to hold everything I need to tell you right now. But here, here's this, this promise, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Say with me, all truth. The Spirit of truth comes, that Holy Spirit. He'll guide you into all truth. He will not be presenting his own ideas. He'll be telling you what he has heard. Now, when Jesus came, he said that only what he had heard and what he'd seen from the Father is what he did because his mission was to give glory to the Father. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory as Jesus brought glory to his Father. The Holy Spirit will be bringing glory to Jesus. He will bring me glory by revealing to you whatever he receives from me. Everybody still following? All that the Father has is mine. This is what I mean when I say that the Spirit will reveal to you what he receives from me. And we've had a promise that Jesus says, I'm in my Father, my Father is in me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you keep my, those who love me, keep my commands, and I will come. My Father and I will set shop up. We will be, live within them. So we have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and Jesus living in us. Okay, let's move on to... Yeah, let's move on. We're promised, they were promised, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they would be endued with power from on high, wrapped up with power, cloaked, clothed in power. Okay, Acts. We're going to move to Acts 2. And I'm going to read quite a bit of this. 
probably from 1 through 41. Are you ready? Second chapter. On the day of Pentecost. So now we've moved just a little bit, a little bit forward, seven, well, seven weeks. <laughs> we've moved forward seven weeks. On the day of Pentecost, seven weeks after Jesus' resurrection, the believers were meeting in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm in the skies above them, and it filled the house where they were meeting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues or speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Some, some passages, as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Godly Jews from many nations were living in Jerusalem at the time. When they heard this sound, they came running to see what in the world it was all about. They were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were beside themselves with wonder. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, yet we hear them speaking the languages of the lands where we were born. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya towards Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabians, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? Then they begin to ask each other, but others in the crowd were mocking. They said, oh, they're drunk, that's all. They're just drunk. And I believe that they probably were. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, even though it was only 9 o'clock in the morning, a bunch of them were probably drunk in the Spirit and speaking in tongues and staggering around and being really noisy and bold. Man, this morning, that, that, when Tim was just hosting the presence so well, ministering to the presence and allowing the presence to minister to us, over there. there, there was a point where I found myself shuffling my feet to stand under that powerful presence of God and deciding, am I going to get on my knees or am I going to sit on the chair? You know, this time I opt to sit on the chair because, like, wow. When the presence of God comes, you just don't know exactly what's going to happen what that manifestation might be or what, what's going to happen. It's like I said, after positioning myself, it's like, whoa, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to sit down. Got up a little, a, a little wobbly leg thinking, man, God, you are so good. I love being in your presence. Then Peter, <laughs> then Peter stepped forward with the other apostles and shouted to the crowd, who stepped forward? Uh, who, who's he going to build the church on? Who denied him three times? Oh. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you. Man, he got his confidence back. He got his boldness back when the Holy Spirit came on him. He was indeed clothed with power from on high. 
and stepped out in boldness, not shame, not guilt, but boldly professing the goodness of God and the good news of the gospel. Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. Some of you are saying these people are drunk. They probably are, but not when, okay, that's not what it says. <laughs> it is not true. It's much too early for that. People don't get drunk by 9 o'clock in the morning. No, what you see this morning was predicted centuries ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour my spirit out upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, I want to I break this down. I, I believe, have preached for a long time and believed for even longer that there is no junior Holy Spirit. No junior Holy Spirit. There's one Holy Spirit, and He is interested in pouring out, flooding into, onto, and into anybody that's open and willing to receive. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. I believe this is broken into three incremental parts right here. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, how old do sons and daughters have to be? I believe that is the little ones. Little up to whatever age, the sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men, so we're talking about the young adults, those referred to as men, young adults, teenagers, oh, they'll see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. We haven't said anything about women yet. Hang on. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. It's not just a man thing. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour my spirit out on everyone, upon all my servants, men and women alike. And they, even the women, will prophesy. In fact, I know so many more women that prophesy right now than I do men that prophesy because women have stepped more boldly into that, have been more open to receiving, and brave enough to start trying it. I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood, fire, clouds, smoke, sun will be turned into darkness, the moon turned blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 22, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth. God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing wonderful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But you followed God's prearranged plan with the help of lawless Gentiles. You nailed him to the cross. You murdered him. However, God released him from the horrors of death, raised him back to life again, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is filled with joy and my mouth shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One, referring to Jesus, to rot in the grave. 
You've shown me the way of life, and you will give me wonderful joy in your presence, Lord. Dear brothers, think about this. David wasn't referring to himself when he spoke these words I've quoted, for he died and was buried, and his tomb's still here among us. But he was a prophet. David was a prophet. And he knew God had promised with an oath that one of his own descendants, one of David's own descendants, would sit on David's throne as the Messiah. David was looking into the future. He was prophesying and predicting the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that the Messiah would not be left among the dead and that his body would not rot in the grave. This prophecy was speaking of Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. We are all witnesses of this. Now he sits on the throne of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us. Just as you see and hear today, for David himself never ascended into heaven yet, but he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let it be clearly known by everyone in Israel that God has made this Jesus, the Christ whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words convicted him deeply, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter was really quick with a response and replied, Each one of you must turn from your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children. I believe this morning that there are going to be some children filled with the Holy Spirit. And even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this generation that's gone astray. Those who believe and were baptized added to the church about 3,000 in one day. So, the beginning of the new Testament church. Who's building it? Who, well, well we, are, we are continuing to build it. Who got the start? Jesus said, on this rock. Peter, you're the rock. On this rock, I'll build my church. Was Peter perfect? No. Not even close. But did he not step into the calling and the prophetic word that was spoken over his life to fulfill the calling that God had on his life? Amen. And as Peter established, what are the three things that he, he established in, in, in this, in this second chapter of Acts? First, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he is the Son. As he's speaking to these uh, to these Jews and Pharisees, all of these people that have gathered there. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Believe, believe. Have faith and believe. Repent of your sins. Be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. 
That's the package. That's the beginning. That's the building. When I think of the church and, and building the church and establishing the church, the church is us. We've got this amazing building that we come together to do church in. But it's not the building, it's us, the body of Christ. It says Jesus is the head, the rest of us are a part, connected to the head. We're getting ready to baptize, so if we can have that, that team, the, 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 the fire tunnel team, the ones that are going to be praying over these kids, if we can get the, get the kids to line up, I believe they're already ready out there. We are going to end up baptizing some children that he is going to pour his spirit out on. And we're going to end up praying over these kids. Before they come up here, they're going to come one at a time. We're going to baptize. But the rest of the church, and we've invited, um, Destiny, we have invited, oh, here we go. The children of the, are a part, their tribe, their community, has been invited to just hang out right up here, to sit on the floor, get as close as you want. If you guys want to get right around in front, that's fine too. You want to watch them when they come out, God's going to do something special in their lives. They're taking that first monumental step. They've asked Jesus to come in to be Lord and Savior of their lives. Now they're repenting of their sin, confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior, and being baptized for the remission of their sin. Next step, to receive that promised Holy Ghost. <laughs> Have we got some kids yet? I was just sharing with uh, in the in the back room. It's it's really different teaching, uh, preaching to the to the kids. But one of the things that I, I so so remember, I had some conversations that first were offensive to me. Somebody asking me about my baptism, and I was baptized probably 20, 21 years old. And how were you baptized? What did it mean to you? It's like I don't know. Uh, how was I baptized? Well, I was dunked in water. It's like, what did it mean to you? I, uh, 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 I, I did what everyone else was doing, and I did what they said that I was supposed to do, and, and that's what it meant to me. So when I was somewhere between 55 and 60 years old and really had studied out and, and, and determined how important baptism is in the life of a believer, I was baptized again in the swimming pool over there at Best Western by Augusto Perez. And it was a life-changing, growing experience because I wanted all that God had for me in that baptism, not to just be dunked because it says you need to be dunked. What we know and realize from Romans 6, the sixth chapter of Romans is that it is a representation of us being buried with Jesus. He was crucified, he was buried, and in three days he arose to go and be with his Father. This represents being putting the flesh, 
to death, crucifying the old man on the cross, buried with Christ in baptism as we go under the water, to be resurrected as coming out of the water, to walk in newness of life. confession of your faith I baptize you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and for the fulfillment of that promise you are good and holy yes, you are kind and inviting we say thank you Thank you for who you are, but you are...